0: Well, hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Season 3 of the Real nick Podcast Experiment. Every season is divided up by a different topic, and we've looked over a couple of things. And in Season 3, it's going to be random. That's right, random. It's going to be the things that are on my heart, things that are on my head, that I'm going to have a chance to just verbally dialogue about. So, I'd sit back and Enjoy season three did you ever come across something that was so profound that you knew it was gonna change your life like there was a truth there was something you were told information you were given at a really young age or it's information you've been given over and over and over again and then there's some undergirding to that like the rug gets yanked out and in the first moments you're you're falling when the rug gets yanked out from under your feet you're in the air uh, you are you're floating you're falling you're anticipating the impact of what just happened and then and then you hit the floor the impact comes and you're You're left there considering, who just pulled out the rug? Did they really just do that? How badly am I hurt? And sometimes you're hurt so badly you can't get up. It's possible to pull the rug out from under somebody and and kill them, um, literally and figuratively. But sometimes the rug gets pulled out from under you, and you fall to the ground, and you realize you're better off. As though pulling the rug out from under you saved you from something else. Something else that you couldn't see, something that was deep down inside of you that you weren't uh, realizing was actually endangering you. I'd like to talk a bit about one of those experiences today. And now I'm gonna give you a little warning too. This is me relating to you, something that yanked the rug out from me, that made me feel like I was falling, that I worried about the impact. As I fell to the floor. Which means you may not want to listen to this episode. And that's okay. That is okay. But if you're a little bit curious, you can go on. And you might listen to this and think I'm crazy. You might be angry at me. You may want to argue with me. That's okay too. Because there's something here. And once you see it, you can unsee it. So let me start by reading a passage of Scripture to you from Matthew 27. I'm reading from the NIV right now. Starting in verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima sabactani," which means... At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. And exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. We'll stop there, amending at verse uh, fifty-six. Why read this scripture? Or a better question. I'm reading the scripture obviously because I want to tell you something. Why is this important in the scripture? Well, this is the crucifixion of Jesus. And in the Christian church, this is of paramount importance. God came. God incarnated himself. God took the form of man, came to earth, and died the death of a criminal. And three days later was resurrected. The most early historical accounts of talking about the crucifixion includes the resurrection. So that's the first thing. Know this. When the early church fathers talk about crucifixion or the crucified Jesus, they're not just talking about the death of Jesus. They're also talking about the resurrection. The resurrection is implicit in the crucifixion. And so there are some, and I grew up with some of these folks who would tell me that Catholics are not really Christian, which is crazy now that I'm grown up and think for myself. But one of the things they would always say is, oh, the Catholics have Jesus on the cross and you know, as our churches, the cross is empty because we believe in the resurrection. And yeah, So does the Orthodox Church, so does the Catholic Church. Uh, When they talk about the crucifixion, resurrection is implicit in it. So, when I say the crucifixion is of paramount importance in the Christian faith, this includes the resurrection. Now, when I was growing up, I heard many times That pastors and Sunday school teachers and youth leaders would focus in on this verse. Verse number 46. Where it says about three in the afternoon Jesus cried out in a loud voice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is really important for us to look at. We talk about Jesus being alone on the cross. We talk about how Jesus was the most alone. Not only was he rejected by his disciples and his followers, not only did the world, the the religious world, the political world reject him, not only did the governing authorities crucify him, not only did his one disciple betray him, but then when he hangs on a cross, when he's at his lowest point, when the criminals on either side of him are mocking him, even God forsakes him. And, and we know this. I've heard sermon after sermon on this. I've heard Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson. We know that God left Jesus, that God turned his face away, as we sing in a pretty well-known Christian song, because it says here, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that throughout Jesus' ministry, he quoted various pieces of Old Testament scripture? In fact, Jesus would pick and choose which Old Testament scriptures he would quote because you might have two prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah who both talk about a subject like, let's say, hell. And uh, Jesus may specifically choose to use Jeremiah's interpretation of hell when he talks about Gehenna rather than Isaiah's. And so Jesus, he is purposefully quoting scripture uh, all the time. Uh, and further than that, Jesus purposefully fulfills scripture. So when we come across a verse where Jesus tells his disciples to make sure that they go and buy a sword, like they need more than one sword for this journey that they're going to be on, and people say, oh, this is proof that Jesus is okay with violence, because he says, make sure you have a sword, you need a sword for the journey. Uh, In reality. Jesus knew that he needed to be convicted as a criminal. To have a single sword is just personal defense, but to have more than one sword in their little band of disciples would make them look like some sort of a band of thieves or or band of criminals. And so uh, Jesus purposefully having them obtain what they need in order to fulfill the prophecies that were talked about him being arrested as a criminal. Jesus uses these sort of scriptures to his benefit, to his advantage. So it should not surprise us when we read this account of Jesus on the cross and crying out that there's a little, um, I don't know what it looks like in your in your Bible, but there's a footnote. And what we realize is when he cries out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalms 22.1. So let's just for a moment read this. Psalms 22, one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. All right, so what, Nick? He's quoting scripture. Yeah. But if you read on, what does it say? And yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One, you are the one israel praises in you our ancestors put their trust they trusted and you delivered them to you they cried out and were saved in you they trusted and were not put to shame it is almost as though Even in this moment of his death on the cross, Jesus shouts out, quoting scripture, to all who are gathered, the one or two disciples that are there, the women that are gathered, the centurions, everybody that we just read about when we read the account, he's crying out and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As though they should go and read the scroll of David's Psalms just to see that even when you are in a place where you feel, as he says in verse 1, that you are so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Even when you are in that place, hanging on a cross, the answer is that in you we put our trust and we're delivered. To you we cry out and we're saved in you we trusted and were not put to shame did the father turn his face away did the father forsake jesus as he hung on the cross no he didn't because the father is with him jesus and the father are one jesus is the perfect representation of the father both God and man, a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so as Jesus hangs on a cross, crying out, trying to once again reveal to us who God is, even in this moment, the God who never, ever leaves us, the God who never, ever forsakes us, that even in this moment, God would not forsake him or you or me, even when we feel like it. Jesus is shouting from the cross, as though to illuminate this aspect of who God is. And for millennia, we have decided that this means that, that God rejected Jesus in this moment, that God let him suffer alone. And I am here to tell you on this day or night or whatever it is when you're listening to it, that God does not forsake you. God didn't even forsake his own son on the cross. No, sir. And now that we're in Psalms, let's just keep going. What comes after Psalms 21 or Psalms 22, a Psalm where he's crying out, feeling so far from God, but recognizing that God is someone he can put his trust in and God is someone that will not leave him alone. After Psalms 22 is Psalms 23, the Psalm that so many of us know about the Lord being our shepherd and in him we lack nothing. He provides green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. That is what comes after Psalms 22. And if we continue to go, we see Psalms 24, that the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it, is in the world and all who live in it are also the Lord's. He founded the seas. He established the waters. There is no place that we can go apart from God guys, this is beautiful. This is the good news that I want to make sure that we are all on the same page about, okay? That God does not forsake us. No matter what pain you're going through, no matter what, uh, maybe it's depression. Maybe you just lost somebody. Maybe you've been rejected by a person that you absolutely deeply love. Maybe you just feel like you are so alone and no one is listening. I promise you that God is listening because God doesn't forsake us. You are not forsaken, and this is good news.